Hey everyone, and welcome back to Freeality, the podcast where we explore the reality of being a freelancer and how to succeed as one. I'm your host, Shelby Stevens, and a quick thank you to Jolly for supporting this podcast. Freelancers use Jolly to sell their services on the web. Your Jolly page will turn visitors into clients and clients into recurring repeat clients. Learn how Jolly can help you launch and build a stable freelance career at www.jollyhq.com. And now, Freeality. Today, we're interviewing Austin Church, a brand consultant and freelance coach. Thank you for joining us today, Austin. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Shelby. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. I've read some of what you write online. I know that you're really experienced. I think you're going to bring a lot of value to the listeners and readers. And I want to get started all the way back, I think you said in 2009. Um, tell me the story of how you got started on this journey of building an independent career. So I did not have to have nearly as much bravery as some of the people in your audience have had to have when they made the decision to quit a full-time job and take the leap. I got laid off. It was in April, 2009, the economy tanked marketing budgets got slashed. I was working at a marketing agency and it took a little while in 2007, 2008 for the trickle down to happen, but it did. And my boss called me into his office. He said, have to lay you off. I was pretty immature at the time. I remember thinking, oh, at least I don't have to get a haircut. Like, because the creative director had been on me about looking more presentable. And that should have been a sign that I was going to be a better fit for freelancing anyway, but got laid off on a Friday, woke up on a Monday, found myself freelancing and was clueless. I had two degrees in English. I had finished up a master's in creative writing. I was confident in my writing skills, but I'd never had a business course or a marketing course you could have fit everything I knew about business and marketing into a thimble. And I was, I was clueless. And yet I found it exhilarating too, because I hadn't loved the culture at the agency where I was working and think I needed a change. And like I said, at the beginning, I'm, I'm not sure I would have had the courage on my own. The choice was taken away from me. And then it just came down to hustling for every project lead, every opportunity I could get. So usually I wait till later in the podcast to ask questions like, what advice would you give yourself? Your, the, you know, the Austin church of 2009, but let's go there right now. So thinking about yourself back in those early days of your independent career, what would you tell yourself now that you know what you know? I would tell myself to focus on getting project leads first rather than to build a website right away. I spent a lot of time trying to hack together a website on my own in part because I thought I had to have one. And though I do think what a website can reinforce your authority, it's certainly a landing place online where a potential client can go find out about you. I was working outside of my wheelhouse a lot. And all of those dozens of hours I was spending trying to figure out, 
okay, what's this one snippet of HTML I need to put right here to make sure that something happens? Like, what was I doing? Like, why was I doing that instead of letting everyone in my life at the time know that I was available to hire? And I think I made that classic beginner's mistake of misspending my time. I was... I didn't know what the levers were then. So if I could go back, I would say, hey man, focus your time on the activities and small projects that produce a disproportionately large or good outcome. And for me now, prospecting or business development, or you know, you can call it marketing if you like, marketing is that lever. If you can generate more project leads than you even need, if you can generate surplus income, extra cash, well, then you can go hire a pro, a freelance friend to build a a website that's much better, much, much more aesthetically appealing than anything you can do. So I'd go back and I'd say, hey, dude, you just need to hustle and generate way more business than you can possibly handle. Read everything, go listen to all the podcasts and put together a plan for getting project leads. Because if you can solve that problem, a lot of the other smaller problems disappear. So let's unpack the hustle there. You called them levers. I love that idea. When you're starting out, uh, maybe you've done some projects for some friends, but what do you mean by the hustle? Is it is it literally you know, calling, sending letters, emailing, posting on social, just unpack that a little bit for us. Like immediately regretting my word choice because I think hustle culture is unsustainable. But what I meant was not being so concerned with everything I didn't know and everything I I might be doing wrong, but instead just doing lots of experiments and paying attention to what wanted to happen. So you know, I could have spent, I did spend a lot of time on creating a business card and trying to look legitimate when I could have instead been spending my time on where might I get project leads and am I putting in enough reps? Am I putting in enough time and activities in those different areas to go drum up business. And so for me at the time, you know, I did get a couple of project leads from going to this one local entrepreneur group. And if I had been faster on the uptake, I wouldn't have just gone to the one group. I would have said, okay, just showing up at groups uh, makes me the convenient choice when there is a copywriting or content writing project. What are three or four other groups where I can uh, show up and have conversations? How can I go get in the way of opportunity? I had a mentor who said, go get in the way of opportunity. And I love that. So that's what I meant by hustle. What are the activities where if I put in more time and more effort and then observe more, I'm likely to see a good outcome here? Get in the way of opportunity. I love that. So let's talk about transitions. Uh, You told us about how you transitioned from 
your, you know, your previous career to becoming a freelancer. Um, I know you've written some about transitioning from freelancer to consultant. Um, can you explain what that means to you? Sure. I will tell a story. It, it will be a, a short story, but it is what launched me in this direction. It was a personal crisis. It was back in around August, so late summer of 2015. I had co-founded a startup. The startup was failing. It was not paying me. My family had no predictable source of income. And I took a hard, honest look at my freelance business and saw some things that just weren't good. Because I'd been working on the startup so much, I had let my client base get stale. Most of my freelance clients, even the ones that had been really loyal over the years, when they did have a project, you know, I always had first right of refusal. Well, I hadn't spoken with those folks in months, some of them a year or more. And so I wasn't number one on their list anymore. I hadn't raised my rates in a couple of years. I didn't have a ton of time because I still was spending time on the startup. My wife and I had a couple of kids at this point. So our financial needs had changed because our lifestyle had changed. So there are all these factors conspiring against our financial stability. And it was that August where this odd thing happened I was all set to pay off our credit card balance the way I did every month. Looked at my checking account. I looked at our credit card balance and there wasn't enough in the checking account to cover the credit card balance. And we had worked really hard early in our marriage to pay off our debt and we had done it and it was exhilarating and it was freeing. And I just, Shelby, I felt so stupid. Like, how did I end up here again? How did I go from having twenty dollars and $30,000 months as a freelancer and as a product creator to racking up more and more debt every month? And that was this sort of crucible when I thought, okay, I've got a lot more experience now. I have done the startup thing. We were a part of a startup incubator. We were a part of a startup accelerator out of Nashville. I had been the COO of the startup. I had a lot more experience in operations. I had all the, these capabilities now, a lot of stories, a lot of principles, a lot of processes, had a lot more to offer. So it was that combination of, I have this expanded capability. Meanwhile, gosh, I need to figure out something fast because my family's finances are in shambles and I can't just go back to some of the things that worked before. Earlier, I could trade time for money. And as long as I just kept on raising my hourly rates, that model was okay. But I, like I said, I had kind of found myself in this crucible of, I can't trade time for money. I need to break that association once and for all. What are the ways available to me to um, make a lot more money in a lot less time? And that's when 
I started transitioning to more value-based pricing and more consulting, more problem solving, more uh, business diagnosis, helping clients solve important, painful problems and being paid a premium to do that. And the solving of the problems no longer being tied to the amount of time that I put in. So it was painful. It was slower than I would have liked, especially at the time, but it was that crisis that forced me to figure something out. Tell us what value-based pricing is and how freelancers can move to that model and away from a time-based billing model. Sure. So I was a copywriter. That was my door into the creative world. And in the past, a client might get in touch, say, we're launching our website. We need eight to 10 pages of new content. Some of them might call it copywriting. Most of them just called it web content, even if it was um, focused on sales and not education. But can you give us a price? How much do you charge per hour or how much do you charge per page, right? And so uh, somewhat transactional in that sense, like when a client gets in touch and they make a request, they have been the one to define the project most of the time. They are the one to define the scope most of the time. And they say, can you do this? What will it cost? And if you're not careful and you don't know a whole lot about positioning, you are a commodity. They are, you are a vendor, you are a, a rule follower and an order taker. And so there's certainly a paradigm that goes along with just getting paid to do what a client tells you to do. Well, a paradigm shift needs to happen if you're going to make your way into value-based pricing and consulting because the assumption there is that the client isn't always in a position to define the scope. They don't always have a full awareness or full understanding of their problems. And so you as an authority, as an expert, are coming alongside them with discovery. You are helping them uncover the edges of the project. What is the problem to be solved? And then in terms of value-based pricing, you're helping them quantify the value of a desired outcome. So you may, I do it with what I call open-ended questions, right? So one of the first ones might be, why are we here? A client may get in touch and say, hey, we need help with writing for our website. You say, great. The way to shift that conversation to begin to um, identify the true scope is to ask a question, why are we here? And over time, it, you know, with enough questions and enough um, digging, what becomes clear is that, well, they've got a website that they're launching, but they're hoping the website will fix their not enough leads prob problem. Oh, well, it, the website is outdated. If we put a new website in its place, then that will perform better. Well, if you've got a little bit of experience in this whole digital marketing world, then you know a new website is not going to fix a traffic problem necessarily. So ask a few more questions and realize, well, what they're really after is not just new copywriting or a new website. What they're really after is we want more leads. And like I said, if you know digital marketing, then you know you can't reasonably expect to get more leads until you get more 
traffic to the website. And then even once people are on the website, is the strategy in such a place that it will move people through this experience, persuade them that you can solve their problems, persuade them that you are the solution, right? So there's strategy, there's not just content, but there's really smart sales copy and there's um, a way for them to submit their contact info for you. There's, there's more of a funnel. So if you keep on backing up from the client's initial requests and you ask more questions, you know, okay, so how much is a lead worth to you? What's your average project value? Okay, so how many leads did you get through your website last year? What do you, how many leads do you average per month? Okay, how many leads do you want per month? So you said a, a new lead is worth approximately a thousand bucks and you want an extra 10 leads per month and you're asking me to help you generate $10,000 in value per month or $120,000 per year. If you quantify the value of their desired outcome at $125,000 $125, over the next 12 months, and then you come in and say that you're going to charge them 30 bucks an hour for copywriting, the value that you're delivering, assuming that you can help them solve the not enough leads problem, the value that you're delivering is way out of proportion with what you charge. But if you anchor the value of the outcome that you will deliver against their goals, hopefully you've been able to quantify that. There are different ways of doing that. Well, now you're in a position to do value-based pricing. So if they want help generating an extra $125,000 or whatever for their business, then you could come in and say, well, we could definitely help with that lead generation challenge. That's going to be more in the $30,000 to $40,000 range. And, you know, if you were to pay us thirty dollars to $40,000 and we were able to generate 10 new leads a month for you, and those leads are worth on average, a thousand bucks, would that be worth it? And obviously the answer is yes. So value-based pricing and consulting come down to really good consultative selling. And that comes down to asking the right questions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, how do you begin to position yourself um, as, you know, as a, as a consultant, as a, as a, as someone who, who takes this approach to their work? It's a really good question. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it wasn't linear for me. Like I said, I, I had a, this crisis of not earning enough. And there are people who figured it out faster than I did. But um, for me, the transition was moving from hourly to fixed price, fixed scope projects where I rewarded myself for my expertise and speed and efficiency. So that's the first step I'd recommend. Find um, a project that has a clear beginning, middle and end. So instead of selling open-ended services like copywriting, maybe you sell new web pages of three to 500 words for 300 bucks, right? Or instead of, offering yourself as a ghostwriter for blogging projects, you might off, you might sell a blog post for 250 bucks. 
tasks. So that way, once you dial in your process, you get faster doing the work instead of it taking you 10 hours now and you're effectively making 25 bucks an hour, if you can whittle down the process so it only takes you three to four hours to write the same blog post, now you're making like 60 to 70 bucks an hour. And so uh, that's the first transition. Then from there, I think as you gain experience, as you talk to more and more clients, as you begin to understand what their problems are, as you begin to quantify the value of the disappearance of that problem and the delivery of a true solution, that's when you can say, well, what's the offer? Now that I understand their problems, what can I offer to make their, their problems go away? And so that I think is maybe the pivotal moment when you're not just sort of peddling the same services that every other freelancer has, but you have three to four core offers. Each offer needs to make a bold promise, like what's going to happen in your client's life or business that will put them in a much better position than they were before. I typically like to mention a little bit of the, pro like describe a little, the, little bit of the process. What are the short-term results and benefits? What is the long-term transformation you're going to point them toward? An offer is very different than an open-ended service has a specific anatomy, like it's got specific parts. And then um, usually it's going to be more uh, priced more toward value than just sort of a delivery of services. Does that answer your question? It does. And clearly we're circling around this idea of the four P's, right? And uh, and, and we haven't talked about one of them. So how to position yourself, your packaging, that's what you were just talking about in terms of crafting your offers, ideally kind of value-based pricing. Uh, what about the fourth, uh, which you define as pipeline? So positioning, packaging, pricing, pipeline. What do you mean by pipeline and how do you approach that? Great question. Um, they all are interlinked. They're, they're all part of a chain. There are links on a chain. You typically cannot charge premium prices if you don't have really attractive offers. And a really attractive offer will be based on strong positioning and some authority in a niche or just, you know, you've proven your ability to do your type of work really well. You've got strong case studies. Well, all this assumes that you're getting leads. And so when I think about pipeline, I think, man, we all need to be spending 20 to 30% of our time generating new project leads. And then you can begin to see why it's so hard for some freelancers to meet their income goals you need all, almost all of your available working hours to just fulfill the hourly projects or even fixed price, fixed scope projects you already have, which leads very little, leaves very, very little time over, left over for business development. And so at the heart of all this is time management. We can talk about that later, but spend 10, 15, 20% of your time on going out and finding more leads. There are a bunch of different strategies for doing that. There are a bunch of different tactics for doing that. There are some 
strategies and tactics that I think are more effective for freelancers, content marketing being one of them. And that's in part because every time you put out new content, you're also reinforcing your expertise and authority. And then later on, when it comes time to sell, like I've had that this experience where I'm selling a content marketing retainer and a client or a prospect will say, well, how do I know this is going to be effective? And I say, well, you found me through my content. You decided you wanted to work with me because of my content. You do not doubt my ability to deliver because of my content. So yeah, it works and you're proof positive of that. And they say, okay, where do I sign? Right. So there are certain, certain marketing and pipeline strategies that I think are more effective for freelancers. And the more time you spend on marketing, the healthier your business is going to be overall. If there's one sort of keystone habit that I would recommend that has dramatically benefited my business, it is tracking leads simple spreadsheet. I add new leads as I get them throughout the week. Every single Monday, I take a look at every lead I've still got, ask myself what sort of follow-up activity is needed. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, sending a, a link to a podcast interview I really enjoyed to a prospect. Don't even mention the project we've been discussing. I just put myself back on the radar Little tactics like that are great, but again, it all assumes that you have one catch-all bucket where you're putting every lead. You have an assigned day each week where you follow up on leads. And this is all the non-glamorous and kind of boring, sometimes tedious stuff that goes into managing your pipeline. But again, gosh, for every one unit of effort, I put into pipeline management, I get out 10 units of value. So it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, if only because it's uh, very businessy and oftentimes not super creative. Speaking of time in and value out, I know you sell a course. Um, tell us, I want to hear about the course, but I also want to hear how you came to, to, to think of that and to, to offer it and uh, how it's gone for you. The genesis of the course was, in pure and simple terms, wanting passive income. I wanted to be able to make money while I sleep. And I've been in this business for 12 years now. I love this business. It's a really messy business. It's hard. I mentioned levers earlier. I wish I'd discovered them sooner. I'm obsessed with process. Process has really helped me scale up. And so, you know, you can't help but learn when you do something for 12 years. You can't help but make important changes when you make painful mistakes. You're like, yep, never going back there. Don't want to do that again. So I wanted passive income. And then this course idea came from, I love coaching freelancers. I love getting that email where I'm like, oh, I just sold my biggest project ever. Thank you for your help. And I'm like, I didn't do much. I just told you that you were more capable than you realize. And so being kind of addicted to that dopamine hit of getting to participate in other people's transformation is something I always want. 
but not all of the people I wanted to work with were ready or could afford the group coaching program or one-on-one coaching. And so I needed some other way to share the principles, practices, processes that have benefited me over the years. And of course, just made a lot of sense for packaging it all up, uh, giving it that um, self-serve spin. And I love the course. I'm really proud of it. I put about 250 hours into it. I tell a lot of stories, goof off a little bit. There are some just horrible dad jokes in freelance cake, but you know, we normally don't learn or if what we learn, uh, what we learn isn't super sticky if we're not entertained a little bit. So I, I wanted to make the course as good as it could be. And it seemed important to make it fun. And so that's how the course came to be. I just needed a way to share all my best stuff. And tell us, uh, give it, give us the elevator pitch for that course. Sure. Uh, so it is fun and a, it focuses on all the stuff that works out in the real world. I mentioned levers and the levers for me have been the six P's. And we already talked about the first four. I'll repeat them. They are positioning, packaging, pricing, pipeline, and then come psychology and process. And so I called the course freelance cake because I love that metaphor of a cake with six layers. At this point, freelancing is a legitimate career. Like you can freelance your entire life and make a great living. But at a certain point in time, the skills that got you into business are not the skills that are going to help you grow the business. You need to go purposefully acquire business acumen. You need to go build the skills required to build a business. And that's what freelance cake is. It does not teach you how to become a better copywriter. It won't teach you design. It's not going to teach you how to grow your Instagram following. It is business school for people who sell their creativity and smarts. I'm going to throw a couple curveballs here. What's something that happened recently in your life that has changed the way you think about your independent career? Ooh, I would say my wife starting her business and recognizing just how business takes an emotional toll and having the opportunity to coach her while also being her partner and recognizing that it's not her business is not my business and I need to back off and how business, if we're not careful, can really hurt our relationships. And so I just, I don't want to pay that price anymore. And going back to that word hustling, I think there's this idea that if I do unsustainable things for a while, then I'll eventually find sustainability. But that logic is self-refuting, right? It's like setting something on fire totally, so that you can eventually put the fire out. Like, and most of that comes down to this idea that I just want money. Well, money is a symbol of something else that you want. And more often than not, the thing that money represents for us, we can already have. Isn't that weird? So my wife's starting her business 
and listening to the advice that came out of my mouth, a lot of it had a lot more to do with focusing on the levers, focusing on sustainability, reminding her that it should be fun. It, it shouldn't just be about the money because if you didn't have to start the business and it's not fun, then what are you doing? So it often happens when I'm giving a piece of advice to someone that I'm just reminded of something that I needed to hear. And because of COVID and the pandemic and everything else, it, there has just been this corrective where I think a lot of us have remembered what is most important in life. And my business should not get in the way of that. In fact, my business, if I'm going to be self-employed, if I run my own business, if I make my own schedule and pick my own hours, then my business needs to serve my life. I, I don't believe in work-life balance. I, I believe in a blend or an integration or harmony. And as I take a closer look, your business should never be so important and making more money should never be so important that you miss out on the simple pleasures of life and you spend all of your time anxious and preoccupied. I think today building an independent career can seem daunting, partly because my co-founder, Zach, recently made this point that you feel like you have to be good at what you do, of course, the actual services you provide, but you also need to be a marketer, a salesperson, a content creator, a partner, a community member. How, how do you think about yourself, the roles that you play that come together to form your independent career and make you successful in, in the journey? I think about myself as having some obvious strengths and some obvious limitations. And I also am very cognizant now of how I have slowed my own growth by being reluctant to ask for help. And when I look back on specific periods in time where for whatever reason, maybe it's just because I was my mindset was healthy. My relationships were healthy, but there were specific times in my life when I asked for help quickly and often. And those were periods of incredible growth. So just, it occurred to me that it's a strength to ask for help. It takes courage to ask for help. If you're not good at bookkeeping, find someone who is. And I mentioned this earlier, if you're sitting there hacking together your own WordPress site or whatever, go find someone else who's better. Like you've got all this creativity, make sure that you're using some of it to solve your own problems and solving those problems on a specific trajectory, which is I want to spend more of my time playing to my strengths. I want to spend more of my time doing the things that I'm really good at and less of my time doing the things that I'm not good at. And yes, it takes some soul searching. I have this very simple exercise where I'll draw a square, draw a line down the middle. I still do this at least a couple times a year. I put high leverage on the left, low leverage on the right. High leverage is everything that I really enjoy, I'm really good at, or the things that directly make me money. On the right, low leverage, things I'm not good at, things that don't make me money directly, things that I don't enjoy. There are things in business that are really important, administrative tasks, bookkeeping, 
even like client follow-up and communication, but I need to even know the things that I'm really good at so that I even have a shot at delegating the things I'm not good at. And then if you then build a little process around the things that you're not good at so that you can delegate them more effectively. Oh my goodness. Like that's where breakthrough comes when you spend more of your time doing the types of work, doing the tasks and projects that make you happy. And like, I'm not one of those people who's like rah, rah, rah on the happiness train all the time. I just, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but there is work that puts you in the flow work that makes you lose track of time work that makes you feel like a kid in a sandbox do more of that work spend more of your time in that sandbox and you will be happier work is one of the best things that we have assuming it's the right work for you so a lot of my time over the last two, three years has been strategically spending more of my time doing the work that makes me happy. And it won't surprise you, Shelby, that there's this ripple effect in other areas of my life. I've, I've written down how you described making this chart. And I'm going to do this as soon as we get off this call. And <laughs> I'm going to ask that you, that you make a worksheet that we can have, right? That's like a, a printable, usable, maybe a Google Doc template. I've uh, got it. I will good. email it to you right afterwards. <laughs> it's, I, I feel so goofy sometimes being a poet. Like I went to school for poetry writing. Now, for the longest time, I could not reconcile in my own identity being a poet who loved process, being a poet who's like, where's the checklist? Where's the standard operating procedure? Where's the template? Where's the cheat sheet? But my team would tell you now, like I'm a, a little bit obsessed. And so I talk about this so much. I was like, dang it. I just need to make the worksheet. So the worksheet you shall have. At Jolly, we have a a core belief, a root belief that true freedom means creating your own rules. What does that mean to you? First of all, I agree. I do not think that the educational system we have right now prepares us for the best jobs. And I think that the best jobs 10 and 20 years from now are jobs that don't even exist right now. So if you're always playing by other people's rules, then you won't be prepared. So it actually calls to mind this Stanford business uh, professor, his name's Jeffrey Pfeffer. And I'm going to butcher the quote, but it goes something like, normal people don't get abnormal results. So if you want abnormal results, then be weird. Like just be prepared to be that weird poet who's obsessed with process. Like, of course, there's not a grid for that, right? So I think going back to that, like, okay, what are my strengths? How do I find them? Once you find them, just get ready to be weird. Like as my habits have gotten stronger, more durable, as I've begun to focus more on what I really want, I have this awareness that I'm getting, I'm, I'm becoming really odd. 
So I'm going to ask kind of the let's look out five years question, but I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way. So let's skip over the kind of goals that you hope to achieve or what exactly you hope you're doing in five years and tell us what sort of values you, you hope to be living by or working by really uh, in your independent career? How do you hope you're going about your work? So the first thing that comes to mind is what I call field trip freedom. I want to be the dad at every field trip with my kids. We have three kids. I want my independent career and my work schedule to be so flexible and accommodating that field trips always come first. And I'd like for my kids by the time they're in their later high school years to be able to say to their friends, like, ah, I just wish my dad would like go away. I want to be around so much that they want me to go away. Um, so that's the first thing. That's just a sort of family, a value for family and for the ministry of presence. And then um, the second thing that comes to mind is a lot of my highest and best contribution will come through writing. So I want to be spending two, three, four hours every day on my writing practice. That's going to look like fiction. It's going to look like nonfiction. I've already written and published one children's storybook. I want to do more of those. And I love stories about redemption and reconciliation and anything that inspires wonder. My all-time favorite author is Roald Dahl, who did Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, or maybe it's Charlie's Chocolate Factory, but um, James and the Giant Peach, just so many incredible stories. Um, I love C.S. Lewis. I just reread the Chronicles of Narnia, and I love stories that make me feel that way, and I want to make other people feel that way. And um, I think the third thing that comes to mind is I like figuring things out. I last night did my very first home coffee roasting experiment. It was a total failure. The coffee tasted a little bit like peanut butter and mostly just like really bad coffee. But it was so much fun to just try something new. Can I figure this out? And I will. I've figured a bunch of things out. Everything from speaking of Austin, really good smoked brisket. I make a really good brisket. I figured it out. Um, I make really good General So's chicken. That's another thing. And I know it's not authentic Chinese food, but I figured out this American, American Chinese staple. I figured it out. I figured out a really good old fashioned. So five years from now, I want to have enough time if something captures my fancy to just enjoy the process of figuring it out. Sourdough bread is another one. I figured it out. So there's just a lot of um, joy that bubbles up in me when I'm like, yes, I did it. Like I cracked the code. There was too much ginger. I dialed back the ginger and now the flavor profile is there. I did it. Those are three things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if I ever make it to Knoxville, I'm going to make you uh, smoke a brisket. <laughs> and you'll be like, yeah, definitely not as good as Lay Barbecue or Franklin Barbecue or 
what's the other one? Mueller's. I don't I mean, I don't know. I, it, I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see. Um, that's very gracious. I'll, of you. I'll give you, I'll give you the, <laughs> the feedback. No, I will Just not. give me a shot. One shot, Shelby. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, uh, this has been awesome. Before we break, how do we find you online, your course, your website? Uh, and beyond that, is there anything or anyone else that you, you know, want to plug here that you think would be helpful for the readers and listeners? Yes. So you can find me online at Austin L as in Larry, austinlchurch.com. Just about everything you would never want to know about me will be there and all of the freelance training and everything else too. I'm on Twitter a little bit. You can find us on Instagram at, at freelance cake. In terms of what I think people should check out, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and Greg McCown's book, Essentialism, are two that have been deeply impactful for me. Okay, Austin, that was really great. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Uh, I think it's going to be a really great episode for the readers and listeners. So thank you so much. That was a joy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Freeality. We hope this content helps you launch and build your own independent career. If you're a successful freelancer or if you know someone who is and is willing to share candid thoughts on what it's like to be a freelancer and how to build a successful independent career, please get in touch with us about being a guest on the show. Just shoot us an email at contact at jollyhq.com. Until next time, I'm Shelby Stevens, and remember, True freedom means creating your own rules.